Haggai, a minor prophet with some major themes. We'll take a look at them next on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Join us. This is Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse, who today will begin a series in Haggai. It's a marvelous little minor prophet, but as we'll see today, uh, there are some great life principles found here. You see, God uses different people with different gifts in different places over different periods of time for different reasons. The difference brings about a unity and grace that is really quite startling once you go through this marvelous little minor prophet. Please join us. We're in Haggai, taking a look at chapter one and some biographical background. Here's Pastor Steve Converse with today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. There are points in time when God works in incredible ways. And we're seeing that over in the Middle East right now with the forming and falling of a dictator. It's interesting how God works through history and time. And, and that's what this, this book shows us in the book, uh, the Old Testament prophet Haggai. I, I want to just kind of lay the groundwork this morning for these series of messages because I think they're, they're very vital, not only to you, as believers, but also to our church. And there's some basic things that we need to understand about this book and about the prophet. There's some historical facts I want to share with you. There's some biographical facts. There's some facts about the date of this writing, this prophecy. And so I I pray that you'll kind of bear with us this morning as we get a lot of this groundwork out of the way, because it's essential that we understand the background of this prophet in the book if we're going to understand what he's saying and what he's doing here. So first of all, the historical background, the historical facts. First of all, he's the 10th of 12 minor prophets. Uh, You may have heard the term post-exilic prophet or pre-exilic prophet. You may have heard those terms pre-exilic, exilic, and post-exilic prophets. What that means is it refers to when the prophets spoke in relation to their Babylonian captivity. Was it before their captivity, during their captivity, or after that their captivity? The, the pre-exilic prophets came to warn of impending judgment. That's why they were sent by God. And some of those were Obadiah. He wrote about Edom Uh, Amos, Hosea, and Joel wrote about the northern kingdom. Isaiah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah, and Jeremiah wrote to warn Judah. They were the pre-exilic prophets before their captivity of 70 years in Babylon. Then you had the exilic prophets, which actually wrote to assure the people while they were in captivity, to assure them that God would restore their land one day, that God didn't forget about them. So the first set was to warn of the coming judgment. The second set was during the judgment itself. And God wanted them to be reassured that one day he was going to restore them. Ezekiel and Daniel wrote from the Babylonian captivity to encourage the people of God. That one day he would restore their nation. And then you have the post-exilic prophets. Those who wrote to assure the people that God would deal with a restored community according to the same principles that he has in the past. Because if you stop and think about it, they've been in captivity for some 70 years. I'm sure that it entered their mind that, you know what, Babylon has defeated us. They're holding us captive. 
And so you know what? The Babylonian gods are, must be greater than Yahweh. I'm sure that entered their mind because they were defeated. They were being held as slaves for 70-some years. And one of the post-exilic prophets' jobs was to point out that Yahweh was superior to all gods. And the only reason that Israel was being defeated by the Babylonians at that time was because God was disciplining them. And so Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi were writing, they're the the post-exilic prophets, they were writing to the people who had returned from captivity in Babylon back to Jerusalem. And they've been there away for 70 years. I don't know if you've ever been held captive by somebody. I know my one nephew, Luke, was held captive by Saddam Hussein in Iraq for about nine months when he was uh, taken prisoner in Kuwait. He was a Marine guard at the Kuwaiti embassy. And he was actually taken prisoner there, and they hauled him back to Iraq, Baghdad, actually. And he was held there for nine months. He said it wasn't fun. To be in captivity, to have your freedoms restrained, to be dealing with that kind of pressure would no doubt wear you down to some degree. And so here we have these post-exilic prophets, the ones after they returned. He is one of those, Haggai, Zechariah, and uh, Malachi. Now, a couple words about the children of, of, of Judah. They've come out of this land of Babylon. They've been out of their captivity now. And they're back in the city of Jerusalem, their homeland, And Haggai, the prophet Haggai, is coming to tell them and prophesying to them and giving them a message, hopefully a message of encouragement. Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, they all prophesy around the same time, the last three prophets of the Old Testament. They prophesied about between 500 and 400 years before Christ. And they were the last men to speak before God spoke through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, other than the New Testament prophet John the Baptist couple interesting things about these prophets. Haggai prophesied in three months, over a period of three months. Zechariah prophesied over a period of three years. Big difference, three months, three years. The one thing that tells me is this, and this is the first principle I have for you out of this book, is that God uses different people with different gifts in different places over different periods of time for different purposes that he may have. I mean, that's a good thing. Praise God that we're all not the same. Amen? I mean, that we're not all cut out of a cookie cutter. God uses all of us. Each of us are unique in certain ways. He doesn't want us to copy somebody else. He doesn't want us to try to be like somebody else. He wants us to be ourselves. And we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And he will use us as sanctified personalities for his glory, if we allow him to. And it's always encouraging to me when I come back to portions of scripture like this that encourage us to just be who we are. You don't have to be somebody you're not. You know, you have to be who you are. And that's an important thing. But with that being said, we have to understand that God wants us to use our spiritual gifts. God uses different people with different gifts in different places over different periods of time for different purposes. A couple verses just to remind you that you do have a spiritual gift and that God does want to use you. Romans chapter 12. You can turn over there. Or chapter 11. Turn over there with me. Romans chapter 11. 
and just look at verses uh, 29 to start off. Romans chapter 11, just take a little couple verses here in the New Testament to focus on our gifts, our calling, what God expects from us. Romans chapter 11, verse 29, it says, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Are irrevocable. In other words, God has given all of us as believers certain spiritual gifts to use for his glory within the church and within the world to win those to Christ. Don't think that for a minute he looked over, overlooked you and you didn't get a gift. Everybody who is in Christ has a spiritual gift. Just a couple uh, verses over, Romans chapter 12, verses 3 to 8, it says, For the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly than he ought to think of himself, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Verse 5, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in teaching, the one who exhorts in exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. You see here that God basically covers a multitude of giftings. And he says we're all different. Grace Bible Church is made up of of a variety of people with different giftings, different callings, as it were. And then over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, it says, Paul writes this, So that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody within the body of Christ is lacking at least one spiritual gift. We know that to be true. Many people have multiple gifts that he's used. 1 Corinthians 7 7 says, I wish that all were as myself. This is Paul speaking. But each has his own gift from God. One of one kind and one of another. See, it's important to understand that we're all gifted in a myriad of ways. And God has strategically placed us in this church to use our gifts for his glory. And then also over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writes a rather lengthy section here, but bear with me. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant You know that that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by by the Holy Spirit. There are diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences in ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. In other words, God gives you gifts, spiritual gifts, not to take your gift and take it home and hoard it and put it in the closet and shine it and make sure it works, and, but don't use it. That's not what God gave you these gifts for. He gave these gifts to you so that you could use them for the profit of all, it says. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit, gifts of healings by the same Spirit, workers of miracles. 
to another prophecy, another discerning of the spirits, to another different kinds of languages, to another the interpretation of languages. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. See, God gives you gifts based on who you are. And he, he gives you whatever gifts he wants to give you. You don't go up to God and say, I want this gift, but I don't want that gift. Some of you have a, a gift of helps that, you know what, you're, you're behind the scenes. You're doing things that most people wouldn't even think of doing. And nobody ever knows you even do it. And you find satisfaction in using that gift for God's glory. And you would never think of teaching a class or getting in front of people and giving your test, whatever. I mean, that just makes you, you know, sick to your stomach. But boy, you'll gladly serve the Lord behind the scenes because that's how God's geared you. Other people are more out in front. In verse 12, it says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that body, being many, are one body. So also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye... That would be kind of a weird thing. First of all, a giant eyeball. Where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, then where would the smelling be? But now God has, look at what it says, set the members, each one of them, in the body just as what? He pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now, verse 20 Indeed, there are many members, yet one body, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. For our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism or division in the body, but that members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, what's it say? All the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, then all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ in members individually and God has appointed these in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, gifts of healings, helps, administration, varieties of tongues, languages. All of the, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, do all the gift of healings, do all speak with languages, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the best gifts. And he's going to show them a more excellent way. And then he goes into the chapter on love. See, it's important for us to understand that we all have a gift. One last verse, First, First Timothy chapter 4, verses 14 and 15 says, Do not neglect, this is Paul speaking to Timothy. He says, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy, When the council of elders laid hands on you, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that you may see your progress. See, a lot of times people don't progress, Christians do not progress in their Christian faith because they're not using their gifts. They're not exercising. They're not doing what God has 
divinely designed them to do. They grow lethargic. And so, rather than ministering to the body, they're always looking to be ministered to. And that's never a good thing. We should come together on a Sunday morning praying, how, how is God going to use me today to encourage somebody? How is God going to let me reach out to somebody? We should pray throughout the week that same prayer every day. Maybe at your job, maybe at your work, maybe where you play, whatever the gym you work out in, whatever it might be. God, how do you want to use me today to encourage somebody, to reach somebody for the cause of Christ? And he has gifted you to do that. And you may sit there and say, well, I don't know a whole lot. You don't need to know a whole lot. If you know that God saved you, that's good enough. Then you know that the Holy Spirit dwells within you. You know that he's given you the power to share Whatever you might share with people. If it's the word of God, you can't go wrong. So take a couple verses and share it with somebody. We don't have to come up with some slick little presentation or some little track or whatever. Share the word of God. That's where the power lies. It's not in your words. It's in God's word. Well, that speaks basically of our spiritual giftings. Let's look at some biographical facts about this prophet Haggai. His name, first of all, means festive. Or a festival. That's what it means. They named the, the book after the prophet. We don't know why he was named that. Some people believe that he was born maybe near a festival day. Some suggest that um, it was related to the prophetic hope of the coming temple and the glory of God returning. Some believe that uh, he... He was named that because he had some kind of a uh, relationship to some festival. We don't know. We just don't know. We don't know much about this guy either. So I say biographical facts. We don't know a lot. Matter of fact, as you try to study a lot of the minor prophets, you don't know a lot about their backgrounds. Like Habakkuk, many of the minor prophets, you just don't know a lot about this guy. We don't know where he came from. We don't know his lineage We don't know his family. All we know about this guy is that he's come out with Zerubbabel. He came out of Babylon. He was in exile with these folks. And he came out and he has been delivered with them. And now he stands before us in this little book ready to prophesy for God. He's now a great old man, basically. Remember, they've been in captivity for 70 years. This isn't some spring chicken. I almost said he's a gray-headed man. (laughs) But there are some old that are not gray-haired, and there are some gray-haired that are not old. (laughs) So you can't really say that. Then there's some that we're just lacking in that department altogether, so we don't go there. But he's here, is the the point. And it's amazing that this guy just kind of springs onto the scene. We've never heard about this man, Haggai, before. And we don't hear about him afterwards. Very little is known about him. They've been in exile for 70 years. And God has been preparing this man for this time. I mean, he's an older man. He could probably look at his own life and say the best years of his life are behind him, not ahead of him. And yet, God is now ready to use this man, the prophet Haggai. That kind of blows the the thinking of a lot of older people in the older generation that, well, now it's time for the young people to come up and do the work of God. I've done my part. You can't say that. That's not biblical. That's not right. There's no retirement in Christianity. What are you talking about? God was preparing this man just like he prepared Moses. And God had a purpose. And this purpose 
He prepared him all his life for this. And guess what? It's three months. This is how long his ministry lasts. Three months. His whole life was being prepared for three months of ministry that God strategically placed at this time in history. But you know what? He was willing to fit into God's plan. That's an important thing. Are you willing to fit into God's plan? Or do you have your own agenda? Do you have your own plan? Even if it's only three months, are you willing to do what God has called you to do? Now, rather than preaching like many of the other minor prophets did, they they preached about compromise within society and they preached about compromise within religion and the corruption in government, all sorts of things. Haggai is not talking about anything like that in his book, in his prophecy. But he does prophesy about complacency. <laughs> if you had to sum it up in one word, that's kind of what, it, what it's about. It's about complacency. One commentator calls him the prophet of priorities. It's important for us to understand that, as I said earlier, a lot of times history goes along to a certain key point. And at that certain key point, something happens in history that changes the world. A challenge emerges. And the next part of history depends on how the leaders of that day react to that challenge. Think about it. August 1939 was one such moment when Hitler was invading Danzig. And would England go to war as she threatened to do, or would she just back off? Would she allow him to do whatever he wanted? Well, we know that England did go to war, and it marked out the course of Western history for decades. We remember President Reagan standing at the wall. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Incredible moment in history. And even today, in our current situation in the Middle East, we're seeing another such time as that. How it's going to turn out, we don't know yet. Well, the year 520 was like that. It was that kind of a key moment in history. And here, Haggai has four messages that God has given him. And he reveals them to him to us in these two chapters of this small little book. The first one, look at the book of Haggai with me, begins in chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. This is his first message. You can see that each message begins with, in the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month or whatever the, the day was. This first message basically covers verses 1 through 15. And each one of these messages speaks to a certain kind of a segment of who they are. The first message speaks to their hands. And it talks about building God's temple. And if you put it in modern day terms, it was around August 29th, 520 B.C. If we looked at our calendar, not theirs. Then the second message you see over in chapter 2, verse 1. See the same thing in the seventh month, same introduction. And that would have been around October 17th. And there he speaks more to their hearts as you read through that message. The third message begins in chapter 2, verse 10. It says, in the fourth and twentieth day of the ninth month. The last two messages are on the same day, but they're separate messages. On December 18th, 520. And on both of those, he speaks to their heads. The fourth message is also on December 18th, but it's a separate message. And so it's important for us to understand this is what the prophet, by God's doing, was laid out in front of him. Four messages on three separate days. 
And when you go home, you might want to break open your Bible and actually read through the book of Ezra. If you read through the book of Ezra, you're going to have a better understanding of the book of Haggai because it gives the whole historical background. We're just kind of giving bits and pieces here this morning. But Ezra really tells how the children of Judah came out of Babylon and how they got back to the land of Jerusalem. So I would encourage you to read that little book as well. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are, and if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650 650- 366-9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Graceful Truth.